0: Scripture reading this evening will be read from 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 7. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 7. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and the mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ, and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and variety. We are grateful for the opportunity to be back again tonight. We're very thankful for the privilege that we have of being together as God's people. I appreciate Austin reading our scripture tonight, and I look forward one day to hearing Austin preach on a regular basis. I think Austin and Cameron, and we've got a lot of young men here that I believe could be great gospel preachers. Tanner, I don't mean to overlook anybody. Uh, We've just got so many, many young men. Danton, every time I look up, I see somebody else. And then I think about all, all of our young ladies and the great spirit that they have and what a great example they are to both young and old alike. We are blessed with a great group of people here. We have a great congregation. We have a great eldership. We have great families, and I really believe that we can do great things together as we strive to serve the Lord in this community. We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2 tonight in our study, and we're going to be talking about responding to a gracious God. Over and over again, we find numerous appeals in scripture for us to live for God. God is interested in us and God has graciously devised a plan whereby you and I can enjoy privileges such as fellowship, fellowship not only with one another but with Almighty God. Peter talks about how we are people of like precious faith. It is a great blessing to be a Christian. One of the greatest blessings that you and I have on a regular basis is being able to come together to worship God to strengthen our spiritual lives by our association with one another. And so I want us to think for a moment or two about what it means to respond to a gracious God. And really when you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 through 7, you have somewhat of an outline of God and his great grace and what he has done for us and how we ought to respond accordingly. So as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, first of all, I want to call your attention to the mindset of God. Sometimes we talk about delving into the minds of people and there are a lot of people that if I had my way, I'd like to know what they're thinking. Well, sometimes we wonder what God is thinking. The only way that you and I can know the mind of God is by looking at revelation, looking at what his book has said and God has revealed his will for us throughout the scriptures. Now as we think about the mindset of God, I would sum it up in one word, salvation. God is all about salvation. God is in the saving business. If you miss that fact, you have missed the thrust of scripture. God is involved in the saving business. Go all the way back to to Adam and Eve and you'll find that God was interested in the first couple He was not just interested in the first couple, Adam and Eve, but he was interested in their posterity, in those who would follow the first couple. And so God, following the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, devised a plan whereby you and I could enjoy the blessings of salvation. The Hebrew writer asked the question on one occasion, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If you miss the fact that God's salvation is great, You've missed something. God's salvation is great. Now, as we think about the mindset of God, first of all, we want to, I guess, profile the will of God. As we think about profiling God's eternal will, God's will is such that He would have us to be saved. That's what Paul said in verses 3 and 4. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God has declared his love for humanity. Not only has he declared his love for the human family, but God has demonstrated his love for the human family. Over and over again, the Bible speaks of the tremendous love that God has for us. God has has articulated his love for us through his word. The Bible says, God is love in 1 John 4, verse 8. In 1 John 4, verse 19, John said we love him because he first loved us. The Bible also says, for God so loved the world. Again, we talk about the love of God and God verbalizing his love for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, at verse 4, again, the apostle Paul, in writing, by inspiration, said, but God, who is rich in mercy for the great love, wherewith he has loved us even when we were dead in sins has made us alive together with Christ by grace are you saved. And so God has verbalized his love for us. He has declared his love for man. But then he has demonstrated his love for man. You know sometimes we talk about how talk is cheap and it is cheap in many instances. Well God didn't just declare his love for us, God demonstrated his love for us. How did he do that? By sending his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In John 3, verse 16, the Bible again says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul would say in Romans chapter eight that God who spared not his own son but freely gave him up for us all, that is a demonstration of the love of God. John would say in 1 John chapter 4, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then Paul in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God commendeth his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do not ever let anyone tell you God does not care about you. Do not ever let anyone tell you that God has not demonstrated his love for you. God is deeply concerned about the human family. And I think you can go back to the Old Testament and you can see God laying the groundwork for the coming of the Messiah. When you read of that angel of God speaking to Joseph in a dream in Matthew chapter one and saying unto Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, that Mary would bring forth a son His name would be called Jesus. And the angel said, it is he that shall save his people from their sins. That is God demonstrating his love for us. He did it by sending his son. But then we think about the power of God's word. Now, what is the power of God's word? Well, there are a couple of things here. First of all, we need to see the basis for our faith. What is it that brings about faith in the lives of people? Listen again to what Paul said. Paul said that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There is a correlation in our understanding the truth of God and our salvation. You and I, we cannot be saved without an understanding of what the Bible says. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of truth. Paul would say over and over again, that truth is essential. Jesus himself underscored the essentiality of divine truth. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talks about how he received revelation from God. He said he took that revelation and wrote it down in a few words, whereby when we read, we may understand his knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now, to the saints in Ephesus. Paul would say in Ephesians 1 verse 13, in whom you also believed, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What's Paul saying there? He's saying you hear the word of God and then you come to to understand that truth and then what do you do? You respond accordingly. You respond to a gracious God in heaven. In Ephesians 5, 17, Paul said, do not be unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is. Why is it necessary for me to understand what God's will for me is? Well, the bottom line is this. If I do not understand what God wants me to do as articulated in Scripture, then I have no hope of being saved. Because as Paul said, God would have all men to be saved. That's God's desire. Peter said in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants you to be saved. God wants me to be saved. What's the means, what's the medium by which I'm gonna be saved? It's the truth, it's the gospel. Paul would say in Romans chapter one verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we think about the basis for faith or the basis of faith, but then I want you to consider with me the blessings of faith. Think for a moment about having the opportunity to hear the gospel. Sometimes I think we fail to understand what a privilege it is to hear the truth of Almighty God. We talk about what a blessing it is to hold in our hands the very word of the living God. There are people all across this globe that do not have access to the scriptures like you and I do. There are a lot of people in our world today, they would love to have a copy of the Bible. And yet many of us have many copies of scripture. Many of us have probably have any number of Bibles laying around at home. Well, what about the truth? And what about the blessings of faith? What you and I have to do, we have to take this word, this book, this Bible, and we have to read it, study it, meditate upon it. We have to, we have to delve deeply into its contents. Because you see, the means by which God draws us is his word. Jesus said in John chapter six, it is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Every man therefore that hath heard and learned of the Father cometh unto me. So here's what we do. We take, we take what we hear, what we read, what we study, what we meditate upon in scripture and then we begin to form some conclusions. We come to an understanding that look, Jesus is who he claimed to be. He is the divine son of God. And God in heaven has loved me enough to give his only begotten son for my sins. And so based on that, based on that evidence, I respond to a gracious God. Let me give you an example. Look at Acts chapter 18, verse 8. In Acts chapter 18, verse 8, the Bible speaks of the apostle Paul who spent some 18 months in the city of Corinth. And Luke tells us, and Luke was the inspired historian, Luke said that many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. What did they do? They heard the word of truth. As a result of hearing the word of God, they developed a sense, they they developed faith in the Lord. And then they responded in faith to Almighty God. That is, they gladly received Jesus Christ, that is, the teaching of Jesus Christ. They acknowledged him as the Son of God, and then they were baptized into Christ. When they were baptized into Christ, what happened? Their sins were washed away. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. He said, and you were washed. He said, you were sanctified. You were justified. Here were people that were made right by their obedience to the gospel. Now there's a second thing I want you to see in our study. We talk about the mindset of God. But then I want you to consider the mediator between us and God. That would be the Savior. Now listen, if you would, to what Paul said. There is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ, Jesus. First we think about the mission of Jesus. What was the mission of Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us, look at verse 6. The Bible says that Jesus gave Himself a ransom for all. Jesus gave Himself a ransom, and I would underline or underscore that word, all. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has ransomed us from sin. Now, we talk about the Lord being the ransom price for our redemption. There are people in our world today that are familiar with the concept of a ransom and a ransom price. There are children that have been abducted. There are people, famous, some not so famous, that have been abducted and the abductors have either called or sent word to family members. And they have said, look, I have your family member. If you want to receive your family member, your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, whomever it may be, if you want to receive that person back safe and sound, here's what you have to do. I want you to put X amount of money in in, in a bag and bring it to such and such location. That is a ransom. And so what happens? Well. Here's a family, their their child has been abducted. And the abductor says, you give me X amount of money and I'll give you your child back in return. So the family loads a suitcase full of money. They take it and an exchange is then made. What do they do? They receive their child back. Well, you and I, the Lord Jesus Christ, has ransomed us from sin. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. He said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for sin. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now go back to the Garden of Eden and look at what the devil did to the human family. The devil deceived Mother Eve. Mother Eve. Adam, he too, was taken in transgression. They both sinned in the Garden of Eden. As a result of their sin, death came upon the human family. We talk about physical death, Romans 5, verse 12, and then also spiritual death, the fact that you and I, because of sin, are separated from Almighty God. That's why we have God's intervention and the unveiling of the promised seed in Genesis 3.15. But the devil, in a sense took the human family hostage, didn't he? So what was the ransom for the human family? It was God's only begotten son. Jesus redeemed us. He bought us back. And so you and I, we are, we are blessed because God in heaven thought enough of us to allow his son to be the ransom price for sin and unrighteousness. Now we talk about sin, and sometimes we we think about sin, we talk about the problem of sin, the wages of sin, and so many times we think about sin and how it affects other people. Listen, the Bible says all of us have sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul would say there's none righteous, no, not one. Sin is the problem, and yet Jesus Christ intervened on our behalf. It's a personal thing. When you read the Bible, you need to understand that God had you in mind. Sometimes I think we we talk about scripture and we look at it from an abstract standpoint or vantage point. We need to understand that God had us in mind. That God loved us individually. That God sent his son to die for my sins, as Paul would say in Galatians 2 verse 20. When Paul, in writing to the saints in Galatia, said, Christ loved me, he gave himself for me. Put you in that place. That is, substitute your name for what Paul was saying there and simply say that Christ loved me. He gave himself for me. So, the mission of Jesus. But then I want you to also see the mediation of Jesus. Not only did Jesus ransom us from sin, but he has rescued us from sin. Now, go back and look again at what Paul said in verse 5. He said, there's one God And one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Now I think that there is emphasis here placed on the humanity of Christ. We talk about the pre-incarnate Christ, that is the fact that Christ existed before he took bodily form. And then the incarnate Christ. Christ was raised from the dead. We talk about his glorified state. He ascended to the Father's right hand. And having ascended to the Father's right hand, Jesus Christ ascended in that bodily form, in that glorified state. And I think to some extent it lends insight into the humanity of Christ and the fact that Jesus can identify with us. Why? Because he has been to planet Earth, he has seen what life is all about from the vantage point of human eyes, he has felt pain. And sorrow and suffering, and yes, even death. He tasted of death for every man. So, we talk about the fact that Jesus is the one who has rescued us from sin. The word mediator, it really means somebody who makes peace. That's really the thrust of it. Now, bear in mind that Paul is saying here there's just one mediator. Now, there are some people that have the idea that there are a number of people mediating on our behalf. For example, Mary. Well, Paul said there's just one mediator. That mediator is Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. So, I want you to think about it from this vantage point. God the Father is where? He's in heaven. Now, the Bible says in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, that sin is what has separated us from our Father. Sin is what separates us from the Heavenly Father. Go back and look at the Old Testament and and think about again the sin that occurred in the Garden of Eden and then the blight of sin down through the ages with regard to the human family. Men and women, they make choices. Sometimes those choices are good, sometimes they're bad. So when men and women make poor choices and they sin and they fall short of the glory of God, what happens? Well, the Bible says they become estranged from God. So here's God the Father. And God the Father is in heaven. What did he do? He sent Jesus to do what? To rescue us. Jesus came to earth. He came for the purpose of doing what? Of making peace. Of of breaching that gap, if you please. Of bringing about reconciliation. Here's God the Father in heaven. Here's mankind on earth. So Jesus comes to earth. What does he do? He comes to earth to make peace between us and God. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul could talk about the state of those who are outside a covenant relationship with the Lord. He said they're without hope and without God in this world. Let me tell you what, if you're outside of Jesus Christ, if you haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ, you don't have one bit of hope. Not one bit of hope. Not only do you not have any hope, you're without God. You don't have God in the morning. You don't have God in the afternoon. You don't have God at night. You don't have Him through the night. You are without hope and without God in this world. But in verse 13, Paul said, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off are made nigh, brought near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who has made both one and broken down the middle of the wall of partition. What did Jesus Christ do? He brought about peace between whom? Between God and man, between the Father and His creation. Paul said in Ephesians two verse sixteen that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body under God through the cross. And then he goes on to say he came and preached peace to those who were far off. Jesus came to rescue us. Now, there's a passage of scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 that I really believe sums this up. In 1 Peter 3:18, Peter said, "Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh made alive by the Spirit." So what happened? Jesus came to earth, mankind alienated, separated without hope Jesus comes to earth. He comes to give himself as a ransom for sin and also to what? To rescue us. To bring about reconciliation. To bring us together. Again, this this idea of a mediator. A mediator is somebody who stands between two parties and literally does what? He brings them together. So you have God the Father in heaven You have man on earth and Jesus Christ standing between the two, and Jesus Christ is the one who has made it possible for us to enjoy our relationship with the Lord. As Peter said, he has brought us to God. He's redeemed us. He's reconciled us. He's redeemed us by what? By his blood. He's reconciled us where? In his body, Ephesians 2.16. So if you've been redeemed and you've been reconciled, what do you enjoy? You now enjoy fellowship with God the Father. As Christians, what do, we have, what do we have to bask in? The fact that we have fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. And in the context of that relationship, what do we enjoy? The blood of Christ availing on a daily basis in our lives. Now the Bible talks about how Christ is our mediator. Not only is he our mediator, he also ever lives to make intercession for us. In Romans chapter eight, Paul said that Christ has been seated at the Father's right hand and he ever lives to make intercession for us. Romans 8 verse 34. Christ is our mediator. He is our intercessor. And he's also our advocate. That means when you and I sin. When we fall short of the glory of God. We can, come, we can, we can turn to God. We can acknowledge our faults. Our shortcomings. We can ask for forgiveness. And, and Jesus Christ the son will plead our case. Before the bar of heaven. And we can stand pure and just in his sight. Why? Because of the blood of Christ. So Christ is our mediator. He is our mediator. He is our intercessor. And he is our advocate. And again, when you look at these terms and you look at what Christ is doing on our behalf, I think that it ought to give us encouragement. And Jesus is able to effectively do these things. Why? Because he has, because what? Because he has been to earth. He has experienced, as we say, humanity to the fullest. And so he can what? He can empathize with us. He can sympathize with us. The Hebrew writer said, We have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but one who has been tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, in light of that great truth, he said, Let us therefore draw boldly under the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the Lord is ever living to do what? To aid us, to help us. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study. We talk about the mindset of God and then the mediator between us and God and then thirdly, the messenger of God or the man of God. And that would be God's servant. In this context, it's Paul. Listen to what Paul said. Go back again and look at verse 3. He said, This is good and acceptable in the sight of all men, or rather in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I, I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. If there was ever a man that needed to come to an appreciation of the graciousness of Almighty God, it was the Apostle Paul. Go back and look at his life. Sometimes I think people from a human vantage point, introspectively, they look at their lives and they realize from a human vantage point, my life is scarred. My life is marred by sin. Sometimes people, sometimes people have the idea there's just no way God in heaven could ever love me. There's no way God in heaven could ever forgive me. That's the devil's lie. God does love you and God can forgive you. God has the ability to forgive the vilest of sinners. So we talk about Paul, Saul of Tarsus. You remember when Jesus spoke to Saul of Tarsus as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter nine? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Luke tells us that Saul made havoc of the church. Saul was intent on wrecking the body of Christ. He was, listen, he was destroying the church. He was persecuting Christians. He was was seeing to it that they were put to death when, when Stephen was put to death. Luke said, that Saul consented to his death. But now, in light of that, consider the conversion of Paul. Drop back and look at verse 12. Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he came to be faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly, what? A blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent or haughty man. But he said, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Now listen to verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Saul of Tarsus, did you respond to the graciousness of Almighty God? The answer over and over again is a resounding yes. Saul of Tarsus was instructed by Ananias to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. He did that. And God added him to the body of Christ. Now, we talk about his conversion, but think also of his commission. In Acts chapter 26, when Paul recounted his conversion story and his commission by the Lord Jesus Christ, he was instructed to go to the Gentiles and to do what? To open their eyes. Why? That they might turn from the power of darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness and an inheritance among all them which are sanctified in me, as Jesus said in Acts chapter 26. Here is the apostle Paul receiving a divine commission. To do what? To preach the gospel. Now here's the question. What about his conviction? Was Paul a man of conviction? Now we talk about responding to a gracious God. You and I, those of us who have obeyed the gospel, we have responded to a gracious God. We have been instructed like Paul to do what? To preach, to teach the gospel. Why? Because people are lost and dying in sin. So we've been converted to Christ. We have a commission that is the great commission. But then there is the conviction. Look again at what Paul said. He said, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let me ask you this question. Was Paul, was he a man of conviction? The only way I know to say it is absolutely. Paul would say, for me to live is Christ. Paul's life was about whom? It was about Christ. Paul said... That Christ would be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. Let me tell you what, the Apostle Paul was all about reaching out to the lost. When you and I respond to a gracious God in heaven and we come to understand what the Lord has done for us and how he's blessed our lives, how do we respond? Here's how we respond we take this same message that Paul preached, that Peter preached, that the other apostles preached that saints down through the ages have preached. We take this same message and we deliver it into the hearts of people around us. And when we do that, you know what happens? When it falls on honest and good hearts, it yields fruit. I wanna close tonight by asking this question. Have you obeyed the gospel of Christ? This is the last time that I'll be preaching in 2011. This is, my last, this is my last sermon. I am, as others before me have said, I am a dying preacher speaking to dying people. Have you obeyed the gospel? Don't go too far and don't wait too late to respond to the gospel of Christ. The Lord willing, I'll have the opportunity and the privilege to preach the very first day of 2012. But I don't want you to leave here tonight if you're not a child of God. This morning we had people who responded to Heaven's Invitation. Brother D.O. White shared with me before we began tonight that there are two precious souls that are responding to Heaven's Invitation tonight. One to be baptized and one to be restored. The statement or the statements that were made, they reflected back over what was said this morning and they realized they needed to make things right. I don't want you to leave this assembly tonight if you haven't obeyed the gospel because I believe that unless you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will not be saved. And if you die before having obeyed the gospel, you'll be lost forevermore. And you don't want that. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, I I would plead with you to come home this hour. Come back to a loving God who loves you who wants you to be saved. The Bible again says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Maybe you need to repent tonight. Listen, we're happy to pray with you and for you, and we know God will abundantly pardon. We're begging you to come as we stand and sing tonight.